Let's take our Bibles at this time and take them up and read at Psalm 73. We've been considering in our last sermon for the summer on the Psalms, Psalm 73, and we've been considering this in some detail. As you recall in our series in the Psalms, most of them we just take a, a certain theme from the Psalm, but there are others that warrant more worthy attention, detailed attention, and Psalm 73 is one of them. So we continue with a sermon on verses 25 and 26 this evening, and God willing, verses 27, 28, or the last of the sermon sermons on Psalm 73 and of the Psalms for the summer. But let's read again this Psalm inspired by God through this principal singer and musician in Israel, Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped or stumbled, my steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride serves as their necklace, violence covers them like a garment, their eyes bulge with abundance, they have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression, they speak loftily, they set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them, and they say, how does God know and is their knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain, and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. Surely you set them in slippery places, you cast them down to destruction, and oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awakes. So Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all your works. Thus far we read the sacred inspired word of God, and we withdraw our attention together tonight to the preaching of verses 25 and 26 in light of the whole counsel of God. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and 
my portion forever. We read this Bible, beloved, and also the Psalms, thankful that they're inspired of God. And they're inspired of God through honest men. That is, God uses by his own spirit ordinary men who are honest men. And certainly the honesty of Asaph should not be lost upon us. He's very honest about the struggles he had with faith. And we've seen that this uh, psalm is really bearing the heart of someone who knows God is good to Israel, but always trouble with other things, like that God is good and seems to be even better and more gracious to the wicked who shake their fist at God, who increase in their riches, who prosper. And then, on the other hand, God doesn't seem to be near so good to the righteous. And so this confession that is made at the outset of the psalm, Psalm 73, God is good to Israel, surely he is, is something that has been arrived at only through much struggle and much pain. And as we've seen in our going through these, uh, these verses here, there is one place where he went and where God led him, did God lead Asaph, and that's to the sanctuary. Verse 17, we read that when he went into the sanctuary, he understood the end of the wicked, and he was able in that light to interpret just what was going on in this world, and that God has different ends for the wicked than he does for the righteous, and we are to understand in light of eternity the things that happen now. And so God is good to us, and he is not being kind to the wicked, except providentially, we understand these things in the sanctuary. And so, it is Now. You don't see this, but I'm notified by certain people in the back if I'm messing up. Well, now I hope that's better. We would follow Asaph into the sanctuary, honest psalmist and the living God who leads us there. And may we do this because here in our psalm is one of the most outstanding expressions of a child of God who knows his God is everything to him. There is in the sanctuary this understanding that's given understanding about good and evil and God. And I dare say we need to understand this tonight. And maybe some of us in particular who are discouraged, some who have doubts, some who are distracted by all the things of the world, good and evil. Let's be focused, shall we? For this is the expression of an honest psalmist. And may it be our expression, honestly, having been to the sanctuary of God, knowing his goodness, and that it is outstanding, and that we can say with the psalmist, God is my one and my only. And so, I want to consider three things, all God, and then but God, and then now God. What is before us when the psalmist expresses his singular delight and love in and desire for God is simply amazing. It is amazing because the psalmist is just an ordinary sinner, 
because of his confusion, we can see that. And he dwells among sinners, and he dwells in a whole world where there's no one who seems to care about God, let alone desire him as their only good. Fact is, though, God has made us to desire him. He made Adam and Eve to desire him. The whole human race should be a people that desire God and have the same confession. That there's none upon earth that they desire besides God. God is the strength of their heart. God is their portion forever. God has made us, in fact, to be full of God because he knows that as people are made in his image, nothing else will do. Nothing of the stuff of the world, the riches of the world that you can't eat, or the things that you can eat, though your belly be full of them, you'll never be satisfied. Anyone like that tonight, wrestling with that, perhaps wondering why they're not satisfied? Well, it's because you're seeking a fullness in the wrong place. We need our fullness from God. You see, God has made humans of all creatures to be full of himself, or there is left a deep, aching void. I'm not saying that we need to be full of God as Jesus is. When he came, he was this express image of the Father, and in him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus is God. But we are made to be those who nevertheless are full of God as God's children, who have God in our minds, God in our hearts, God in all of our desires. Men in sin, they want nothing to do with this, let alone to be full of God. They want to be empty of God and every vestige of the image of God. You realize this is the world we live in. There's an unusual people that gathers here together and in other true churches that gather together that say our all is God, and not God plus this and that and the other thing, but just God. God is our one and our only. I say this is a peculiar confession of Asaph and of the church and of every true believer because men in sin don't want anything to do with God. And Romans 3 describes the, 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 the great tragedy, as it were, of sin. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that seeks after God. There's none who can say with Asaph, Whom have I in heaven but you? There's none upon earth that I desire beside you. Sinners want to sin, and God will not be pleased when they sin, and so they do not desire God. They have no thoughts or desires of God, and whatever thoughts they might have of God, they suppress, as Romans says, they hold it under in their unrighteousness, to be rid of even the thought of God and to live as if there is no God. Try, people do, to be full of themselves or to fill themselves with stuff or with relationships or with work or with play or with a bank account so they can retire early and do only what they want. In fact, people try to fill the void left when there is no true religion and no true God in their life, by substituting for true religion and the true God, a false God and a false religion. This is true in churches. There's churches that cannot say there's none in heaven that we desire 
uh, besides God or none on earth. And so they'll have a God, but without Jesus Christ. And they'll say that they're full of God, full of the Spirit even. They'll say they have God, but they don't have the Bible of God. They'll be without even some of them. Jesus Christ and his cross, they'll have a form without substance and without the Holy Spirit. They'll go through the motions, as some can do, and some can even do in this congregation. We must beware. This is a sincere, honest confession of a redeemed man. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's none upon earth that desire beside you, and so on. It's a sincere confession of an honest man, and it should be also of honest women. People today think, in fact, that they can confess God and that God is his desire without desiring his truth and all of his truth. We just want a little truth, but not so much that would get us into hot water with the liberal churches and so that we could not have an influence in the world. They'll say, in fact, that we can be a a religious people and have God in our own mystical communion with him without the church, without the local church, though they might believe there's a church. The local church is not to them very important. And so they'll be not church people, and therefore it's impossible that they be God's people and God being their singular desire. In fact, there are people who would despise the means of grace altogether in the preaching of the gospel and the sacraments. They avoid the institute of the church because, well, they don't desire that there'll be problems. They don't desire this place which uh, looks so uh, humble in form and, and they're wondering, because they've had problems in churches before, how in the world we could really desire God the way we want to and need to if we have all of these other things and all of these other peoples and authorities in our life. Oh, beloved, this psalmist is committed to God when he says, I just desire God. There's none I desire besides him. And he's committed, therefore, to all that God desires and all that God loves and all that God delights in. That's the test of our true desire and delight in God. Do we delight in God and his church, his people, the elders, the preaching, the sacraments, one another? Do we delight in this thing that God makes a people of God? And so it's amazing. It's really amazing. There's all of this many desired people hanging out, not only, but seeming to dominate in this world. And even in the church of Jesus Christ, it's, it's all mixed up. There's mixed messages that one would get if he would just walk into a church and maybe you're just walking into a church and sitting in a church for the first time in a long time today. There are many places where the preacher will say one thing and the, the people will want another thing and, or the people will say this and the pastor will say this and there's everyone getting whatever they desire but the psalmist here being inspired by God is pointing us to what all of us should desire and this is born of a work of grace. Has to be. All of God that God might be all in all. 
to us, to each of us, and to all of us together. The psalmist has God, and God is everything to, to him. Whom have I in heaven, above, or on earth? There's none in heaven or on earth that I desire besides God. And the reason for this is a divine thing. You know, beloved, why we can say God is everything to me, and you can say God is everything to you, it's because we're everything to God. I mean that in the most profound and reverent sense of the word. We're everything to God. Not that he needs us. He's the one who's glorified in himself. He doesn't need us to be glorified, but he's chosen to be glorified in and through us. We are everything to God. God has shown that we are everything to him by sending his son to die for us, to redeem us. As the saying goes, heaven has been bankrupted so that the treasures of life with God might now be given to the sons of men so that God himself becomes the portion of a people through the blood work of Jesus Christ, that, that wonderful atonement on the cross. He's chosen me. And he's drawn me with everlasting cords of love, as Jeremiah says, and that's the case for every one of God's elect. We are everything to God. He delights in us, and therefore he fills us with himself and with his love and with his truth. And so that we say, he's everything to me. We're everything to him. Now he's everything to me. That's behind this all. Why is a psalmist saying that God is everything to him because everything or God we are everything to God. Our desire now is changed to love. Our desire for things and for lusting after our own hearts desires is changed to love and to desire what God loves. We have him even as our treasured possession and we worship. We know God. Our only God and we desire and delight in him greater than anything we might delight in in heaven. Like angels, we love God more than angels. Like the sun and the moon and the stars of which people make gods, no gods for us, just one God. All the good things in heaven we don't desire, just God, that is, compared to God. Oh, we may desire these, as we'll see. But even a reunion with loved ones. Are you looking forward to that, beloved? When you shall be reunited with family members or church members, people who have gone before, people who will go soon, uh, that you know and love. Well, here's the psalmist saying, here's what really matters. The God of heaven. Not the heaven of God. The God of heaven. A lot of people get this idea, well, heaven is just more of what there is now. So I can golf, and I can drink, and I can go fishing, and I can do all these things that I want, maybe in a glorified sense. So God is in the middle of my fishing expedition or my golf game, but it will be bogey-free and everything like that. There will be big ones that I catch and everything my heart's desire. Oh, beloved, this turns everything on that head. The psalmist says, it's God. We say it's God. Every true man of God says, God is my portion and my all. 
and blessings in God's fellowship, these are the most important things. Everything on earth compared to God is nothing. Everything, all the good things, all the wealth, all the power, all the prestige, God is my all. God the Father, my covenant Father. God the Son, my Redeemer, my friend, my advocate, my shepherd. God the Holy Spirit, my sanctifier. This God, this triune God, and fellowship in him is everything to me. In fact, the psalmist is saying here, I've given up anything else. I don't desire anything but God. I've given up my own selfish desires, but anything else that's worldly, I've, I've given up. That is, if it's going to compete with my God. And that's the second point I want to, to make here. The psalmist is basically saying all is God to him. And that's an amazing thing. Not everyone, not most people say that. I wonder if all of us are saying that tonight. It's just God. Maybe we've come to church and we're feeling rather good about ourselves or we have something that we want more than God. And God is saying to us tonight through the psalmist, just me. Have that confession. If you've been in the sanctuary, if, you, if your mind, this is... What must be the case, there must be this God desire and delight. The psalmist here, honest as he is, speaks of the possibility of flesh and heart failing. My flesh and my heart fail. In fact, he speaks of this as a reality. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So, He's dealing here with the things on earth. The thing of earth, it's a place of failure and of death. And he still says, though this be the case, God will be my one desire. And God will continue to be my portion and my all. He will care for me, body and soul. I belong to him through Jesus Christ. He says this. Besides that, He speaks of the way it just seems it's going to be. It will be. There is flesh and heart, and they will die going the way of all flesh, which is not only possible, but it is the wages of sin. Death comes to all men. There will be an end unless the Lord returns, and this is the wages of sin. In fact, there is God behind the failure, God behind the death, in his justice upon sinners. And so he's dealing with this, this the struggle of living with God and being spiritual in a very vain world where there's failure and where there's death. Fact it is, it seems to be the dominant view of men. We just live and then we die, go the way of all flesh, and he who dies with the most toys wins. And we're all going to die someday, so let's eat and drink and be merry. And this is the way it is. And we don't want to get into this religion thing on earth because it causes trouble. And, and we believe that it's just like drug for those religious weaklings. So it dominates. And we can tend to think this is just all there is. But 
Note the psalmist's word, but God. He makes this confession very honestly and on the backdrop of this dark and bloody ground called earth, the battleground of the ages, where demons deceive and destroy, where even in the church there is this work against grace, if it were possible, to bring the people of God's own grace away from Jesus Christ, to separate what God has joined together, to keep unreconciled those who have problems with one another. This is the work of the devil. We must say this confession of the psalmist. Though this is the case, there's failures. In flesh and heart, they fail. And other things fail. But God, the strength, or we can interpret it, the rock of my heart and my portion forevermore, my inheritance. You know, this is really what the psalmist is saying here is he knows God through knowing the promised Messiah. Asaph was inspired by the Spirit of Christ. The New Testament says that all those prophets, Asaph was a prophet, were inspired by the Spirit of Christ who testified in them the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow, 1 Peter 1. Amazing. Jesus is here. And we said that, of course, this is just how the psalmist could be full of God and want more of God and desire God, but here's where the religious rubber hits the road, as it were, in the test of time and this terrible, dark, and bloody, and killing ground that is this earth. Even though there's this possibility, no, this reality of the failure of the body and this terrible separation of the body and soul at death, yet God is the strength of my very core existence, my heart. He's my rock in the midst of a weary land. He's my all. And this is actually the test that is the outstanding vindication of God in Jesus Christ. God is a God for all times, or he's not a God at all. God is a God for the hills and the valleys and the plains, for the children, the toddlers, the young people, the single people, the married, those with children, those without, the grandparents, the great-grandparents, for those in sickness and those in health and those poor and those rich. God is a God for these times. He has shown that, beloved, exactly by sending his Son into our time, into our weakness to take on our weak human nature, to be this Savior God who's true and who understands and who will be glorified in this way. You see, God could have made it all easy street. And Adam and Eve, well, possibly, conceivably, with speculation, they could have just been created and never fallen, and God would have been glorified that way. However, 
That's not how God determined it should be. He determined there would be this place of his creation originally good, and there would be God, uh, people in fellowship with God, but then they would fall away and they would say no to God, and then there'd be failure, and then there'd be pain, and then there'd be divorce, and then there'd be brokenness, and then there'd be nastiness, and then there'd be this and that and the other thing, and then there'd be opinions of men being over, uh, over upon the people so that they believe that instead of the truth of God. So God came, God ordained that he would come in a glorious way to say, even though you're so unfaithful, even, so, even though it's so hopeless, nevertheless, I'm still God. And I haven't made a mistake. And I haven't made a mistake in your life or your life or my life. Because I'm working everything so that you look to my son who died on the cross and who is risen. Risen. You see, there's a Old Testament testimony here to the resurrection of the body. Immortality. You see it? My flesh and my heart fail. He's speaking of the real possibility, probability, and actuality of death. Even though that happens, God is the strength, the rock of my heart and my portion forever. It doesn't end When I stop breathing, it doesn't end. When people shoot me, it doesn't end. When I fall over with a heart attack, it doesn't end. When COVID gets me or this or that gets me. Because God is my end and my beginning. And Jesus Christ who died for my sin is risen, yes, up from the grave. He arose for my justification and he's coming again. Here is a testimony of the man who believes in the Redeemer who lives, who knows that his Redeemer lives, with Job, whose desire is breaking through like a knife or like an arrow to the things that matter, the thing that matters, the God who matters, and nothing else matters in comparison to that. Nothing is real except God be real. And the faithfulness of God here is the outstanding truth that's testified when the psalmist says, it's all God for me. And even though it be the end for me, but God is still my God. And now I want to leave you with this question. Will that be the case now? Asaph I dare say, is, is one of a thousand in the church of Christ. Of a singular desire for God. Who have such faith in the time of, of terrible trials to say, God is still my God. That's all right. That's all right. It's everything. You have that? One in a thousand. You see, there's two 
to extreme things that God's people believe. And we need to believe this too. Do we live, this is what we need to believe. We live as if everything, a man who has everything but doesn't have God is a pauper. Do do we believe that? If a man has everything but God, he's a poor man, isn't he? But then that means we also believe this. A man who has everything or who has God but does not have anything else is very rich. You believe that too? That's what we're talking about here. The psalmist was saying, I have God and I'm rich. And if you don't have God, you might have everything else, but you're a poor man and a poor woman. And your life is poor. See, truth, the truth as it is in Jesus shapes us. The truth of the gospel. And it makes for a life that is a life of faith and of strength. But now I do want to say something else. There's, there's additions and blessed additions to saying that God alone is my desire and my life and my portion. You know what that is? Then with regard to everything else and everyone else in our life, we get also to love them because we're loving God first. You see, the psalmist is not saying here, I just love God and I hate everybody else and I don't care about anybody else. And I'm going into a monastery and I'm just going to be there devoted to God and that's the sign that I really love God alone. And if we would all do that, maybe the world would be a better off place. He's not saying that at all. He's saying something that's for this life. God is first. He is the priority And that, you see, sanctifies everything else. And now, he can thank God for things in his life and gifts. He takes them as gifts and he, you could say, loves them, desires them. But it's all because he loves God and desires him and receives from God these good gifts. People in his life work, but back to people. Persons, yes, he can love. God is his desire. You can desire the best for your brother, the best for your sister, especially those who are in Christ. And this, of course, this text is not saying I love God and I don't love my wife because that would get in the way of God. No. Because we love God, we can love our wives, men, and we can love our husbands. Only just now they're not competitors. We're not loving them more or instead of or in addition to God, God first. And because of that, we love them. We love them for Jesus' sake, and especially we love these people in our lives who are in the church of Christ, fellow believers, in whom God himself is. And so there's this expansion of the love of God and this otherworldliness in this world that is the testimony of this text. I'm in the world, but not of it. The world is where God has revealed himself to me, And that bloody cross is where he gave his life for me. Now I'm going to live. God is my one desire. And there's no one in heaven and no one on earth we desire besides him. Well, beloved, is that the case? 
Is that the case? Here in the psalmist, the psalmist is saying for himself, my flesh, my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Are we such a God-desiring church? Is that true here? Is that true here? Amen. Father, we pray, we plead with you that you may be our desire and our delight. All the things of the earth, may they not be competitors with you. We confess where we have had other competitors, we've had other delights besides you. They've gotten in the way of our life with you. We've neglected your word. We've neglected your church. We've neglected holy devotions and drawing near to the sanctuary. Just been floating along, swimming in the stream of life, not founded on the rock. Forgive us. Work in us a, a focus, singular attention to things divine tonight. And may you be the strength of our heart and our portion every day this week and forevermore. Amen.